Pray with me. Lord, as we come to your word now, hide your servant to magnify the Son. Lord, may we understand better your love, and may it make us more loving back to you and more loving to people around each of us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever given much thought to how it's all going to turn out for you? I don't mean the end of this week. I don't mean the end of this month. How is it going to turn out for you not after this year? How is it ultimately going to turn out for you? Have you ever given that any thought? How is it going to turn out for you? Jude 24 and 25 tell us exactly how it's going to turn out for you if you're a born-again Christian. Jude 24 and 25 assure us, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... And to make you to stand in the presence of his glory, blameless, with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority, before all time, now and forever. Amen. Amen means let it be so. That's how it's going to turn out for each of us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior by faith. Our glorification, our being made to be like Jesus, is certain. It's not up for grabs. It's not a wonderment. It's not just a hope so. It's a no so. And we're going to see that in this wonderful passage in Romans 8. This passage in Romans 8, in many senses, presents Mount Everest truth about God, our Savior, and about the salvation He's given to us. Peaks of the New Testament, mountaintops of the New Testament that are really unparalleled. And so we're in a very exciting part of the New Testament when we're in Romans 8, 31 to 39. We're going to see four points, four peaks of the mountain range. Let me preview all four, and then we'll unpack them one at a time. First of all, point one, there can be no effective opposition to us. I see that in verses 31 and 32. Point two, there can be no persuasive accusation against us. I see that in verse 33. Point three, there can be no possible condemnation of us. I see that in verse 34. Fourth, there can be no possible separation of us from God's love. That's verses 35 to 39. These are the four mountaintop of the range of mountains found in our passage this morning. So let's look at them one by one. First, Roman numeral one in your outlines, there can be no effective opposition to us. No effective opposition to us. See that with me in verses 31 and 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? There can be no effective opposition to us. Did you ever get bullied in school? Did you resort to the, my dad is bigger than your dad defense? By the way, that reminds me of three children that were talking with each other about their dads. And the first child said, my dad is a parking meter officer. He writes something on paper, he calls it a ticket, and they give him 20 bucks. The second child said, well, yeah, my dad's a poet. 
If he writes down something on paper, he calls art, and they give him 200 bucks. The third child said, well, my dad's a preacher. He writes something down on paper, and he calls it a sermon, and it takes 10 guys to collect all the baskets full of money. Well, be that as it may, were you ever bullied? Did you ever tell the bully that my dad is bigger than your dad? Satan is a bully. He messes with us. He lies to us that we are not significant to God or not significant to anyone else. That's a lie. Satan fibs to us to suggest that we are not at all secure in God's love. We have to worry about it. That's a lie. Satan tricks us into fearing that the Lord has a daisy pedal pulling approach. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. Satan wants you to believe the lie that God's love for you is conditional and it's fleeting. And if you die with some unconfessed sin, the lie is that you'll go to hell if you're a Christian. Satan is a bully. This passage will show us the rich, permanent, unwavering, gracious love of God that we can never be separated from if we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Verses 31 and 32 scream out against the satanic lies. Again, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? I see three things in those two verses. Ready? Number one, God is for us. The biggest one is for you, not against you. Number two, God did not spare his own son to save us. I only have one son. I love him very, very much. And I love you too. But I'll tell you one thing. I'd never give my son to die for any one of you. Sorry. Sorry. God, though, did not spare his only son to save us from our sin. This table remembers that fact. God, in sending Jesus to the cross, said whispered across the centuries of time, I love you. I do. I love you. I'm letting my son die for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16. The third thing I see in verses 31 and 32, God has freely given all that we have needed. God has freely given all that we have needed. And plus, in addition, God continues to freely give us all that we need. Bread on the table, human love, a church family, freedom in the Bahamas to worship and serve Jesus Christ, all that we need, God continues to give us freely because of his love. What a loving Lord. You know, 
Scottish author George MacDonald told this story of a woman who had experienced a great tragedy in her life. Quote, The heartache was so crushing and her sorrow so bitter that in distress she exclaimed, I wish I'd never been made. With discernment, her friend answered, My dear, you are not fully made yet. You're only being made. This is in your maker's process. Brothers and sisters, God has freely given us all that we need, including our trials. God has given us all that we need, including our sufferings, so that we would be increasingly more godly and like our Savior. Therefore, there can be no effective opposition to us. God is for us. God didn't spare his own son to save us. God freely gives us everything we need. The second point, there can be no persuasive accusation against us. There can be no persuasive accusation against us. I see it in verse 33. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. There can be no persuasive accusation against you if you're a Christian. Justification, I hope you'll remember from earlier in Romans, is God's work of declaring guilty sinners righteous because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for them to pay for sin. Now, I'm not proud to tell you this. Some years ago, I was speeding, really speeding. Home from Awana, as I recall. You know what they say about our right foot? It's the last part of us to be sanctified. I was really speeding, coming home from Awana one night, and the policeman pulled me over. And I recognized him, and he recognized me when he came to my window, and neither one of us made any small talk. It was a serious violation of the law, and I knew it, and he knew it better than me. And he was the longest time with my driver's license and my proof of insurance sitting in his car Those were long seconds for me. He came back from his car to my window. He handed me my driver's license and my proof of insurance. And he said, I'm not going to give you a ticket. Consider it a $400 donation to your church, Pastor Elliot. Verse 33, (laughs) moving on. (laughs) Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who indeed will bring a charge against you if you're a believer? Who indeed? But there's more. I'm sure that to be made more like Jesus Christ and so will be like 
eventually completely what we'll be like when we're with Christ forever because there can be no effective opposition to us and because there could be no persuasive accusation against us. We're in the process of being sanctified. We're in the process of God chipping off of us what doesn't look like Christ. Day by day, week by week, year by year. But there's more good news, a third point in your outlines. There can be no possible condemnation of us. There can be no possible condemnation of us. See that with me in verse 34. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Jesus intercedes for you. Mind-boggling. Jesus prays to his Father from the Father's right hand in heaven for you and me. There can be no possible condemnation of us. I see three beautiful realities in verse 34. Quickly, number one, Christ the advocate has paid for our sins. Christ the advocate has paid for our sins. An advocate, incredible body of Christ, an advocate is a lawyer. An advocate is an attorney. I've met several lawyers in our church body, and I'm pleased and blessed that they represent Christ in the legal field, in the courts, wherever they go. Christ, the advocate, has paid for our sins. Jesus is the believer's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent lawyer. You don't have to ask that I like to see my lawyer before I answer any questions from the police. Your lawyer's right with you in power, in strength, in wisdom, in love, in faithfulness, in prayer. Yeah, Jesus is the believer's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent lawyer. And when Satan accuses us in heaven, see that God? She's despicable. See that God? He broke his word. See that God? She's angry. See that God? He gossiped. Accusation, accusation, accusation. The Lord Jesus turns to the Father and says, Father, she's mine. Father, he belongs to me. You've charged it to my account. I've paid for that sin. Father, she's uncondemnable. Father, she's justified. Father, he's uncondemnable. Father, he's justified. 1 John 2, 1 and 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for our sins only, but for those of the whole world. Jesus Christ finished work on the cross that this table memorializes this morning. Jesus Christ's finished work on the cross is what makes us right before God, uncondemnable in the courtroom of heaven. And this is what it means when it says that Jesus intercedes for us. He speaks to the Father for us. He prays for us. He's on our side even when we don't have a leg to stand on, like when the policeman pulled me over, I had no leg to stand on. 
I kept my mouth shut. There was no defense for what I did. What love. Not only that Jesus would step across the galaxies that he created by the word of his mouth to come to the dusty tennis ball we call earth, the only body, created body in all of the universe that has life made in God's image. There's no life on Mars, please. Please. Jesus stepped across those galaxies, became a little baby at Christmas, grew up sinless, laid down his life voluntarily as not a victim but as a volunteer. What love. And then after resurrection, after ascension, he sits at the Father's right hand as our lawyer, as our prayer warrior. The second thing I see in the verses now is Christ has died in our places. Christ has died instead of us. He didn't die to show us how to die. He died in our place. He took the death that we deserved to give us the life we couldn't have earned, his life. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he, God the Father, made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him, in Christ. You are the righteousness of God in Christ if you are a believer. The righteousness of God in Christ. That's who you are. That's a trade I can live with. My vileness, my rebellion, my shortfalls for Jesus' perfection, obedience, holiness, and righteousness. That's a trade I will make every time. The third thing in these verses, God raised Christ from the dead, thus proving our justification as we place our faith fully in Christ. Remember, faith is only as valuable as the object upon which it rests. If your brakes are gone when you leave church this morning and you don't know it, your faith, your normal faith that your brakes will stop you at a red light, they won't stop you if they're not good. Faith is only as valuable as the object upon which it rests. You have no more certain, no more perfect a person to rest your faith than on Jesus Christ. God raised Christ from the dead, thus proving our justification as we place our faith fully in Christ. You do realize that you don't have the full gospel message until you have both the cross and the resurrection. That's the gospel. If you give out tracts that don't talk about the resurrection, stop doing that. The gospel is Christ died for sins and arose, both. That's the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 5. Now, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which you also received, in which you stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Here it comes, the gospel. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, that's the first part of the gospel, according to the scriptures, that is the Old Testament predicted he would, and that he was buried, that's the proof that he died for your sins. You don't bury a dead person. And the Romans knew a dead criminal from a living one. And no one survived a cross. No one walked away from a cross. They waited until you suffocated or you dehydrated and you died. There were no survivors from the cross. 
The gospel's first point is that Jesus died for sin, predicted by the Old Testament, proven that they buried him. See the second half of the gospel. And that he was raised on the third day, there it is, resurrection, according to the scriptures, the Old Testament predicted it, and that he appeared to Cephas. He appeared alive after crucifixion. That proves he resurrected. So the whole gospel, Christ died for sins and arose. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Both. Simply put, Christ died for sins and arose from the dead. And do you know what? Romans tells us is a significance, one of the major significance of Jesus being raised from the dead. Romans 4, 25. He, Christ, who was delivered up, that is to the cross, because of our transgressions and was raised, resurrection, because of our justification. Watch this. If we didn't have transgressions, Jesus never would have been delivered up to the cross. But if Jesus Christ wasn't raised from the dead, we also wouldn't have justification. 25, chapter 4, he was delivered up because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. (laughs) Doesn't get better. No, sir, no, ma'am. Does not get better. Have you believed it for yourself? That Christ died for your sins, that he rose from the dead. Have you believed it? New brother Christopher did this week. Have you? Well, my wife's a pretty committed Christian. So what? My daddy and mommy trusted Christ and took me to church every Sunday. So what? I give to the poor. So what? Have you ever transferred your trust to this wonderful Savior who loves you, who died for you, who was raised for you, who could become your lawyer? I invite you to transfer your trust to Christ. No one can do that for you. Trust Christ if you never have. Verse 34, please. Back to Romans 8, 34. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. This is the same great truth and good truth that's taught in Romans 8.1, the first verse of this chapter, very same truth. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Exactly the same thing is restated here in verse 34. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Of course, if we're honest and upfront with others and with ourselves, we know that we blow it all the time. I blow it all the time. If you think you've got a perfect pastor, you're deluded. I blow it all the time. But when I do, the Spirit of God taps me on the heart and says, Rob, that was sin. And then I have a choice whether I'll agree with God and call it sin or I'll rationalize it which is always a mistake because then the Spirit of God gets a little firmer. We all do things that are wrong after conversion. 
But one day, according to Jude 24 and 25, because we have a loving, unconditional loving, merciful, satisfied by a propitiation sacrifice of Christ, because all of that, Jude 24 asserts, and you can take this to the bank, Christian. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you to stand in the presence of his glory, blameless, with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. That's the end of your story if you're saved. That is the end of your story. So what have we seen so far in this passage? We've seen three things. We've seen there can be no effective opposition to us. That was verses 31 and 32. And there can be no persuasive accusation against us. That's verse 33. And there can be no condemnation of us. That's verse 34. So one more mountain peak, one more Mount Everest in the mountain range of salvation. Ready? Fourth, there can be no possible separation of us from God's love. You cannot be separated from God's love. You cannot. Nothing, no one can separate you from God's love. You can't even separate yourself from God's love. There can be no possible separation of us from God's love through Christ. 35 to 39. Let this wash over you. Let this encourage you. I don't know what you're facing this morning or this week. God does. But I know that Romans 8, 35 to 39 is high-octane encouragement for all of us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for thy sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced. Now he's going to list opposites. When the Bible lists opposites, life and death, it's saying everything in between the opposites as well. Watch. 38. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. (laughs) If you don't have an amen in your heart over that, check your pulse, man. Now watch this. Take in the 100% guarantee of God's unfailing love for us. Big and hard things won't cut us off from God's love. Suffering and even death are not really obstacles to God's love. Actually, they are appointed staircases up to knowing God's love in Christ better. Suffering this morning? Physically, mentally, emotionally? in your family, in your marriage, in your work, in your church. As you are suffering, God's love is relentless, faithful. You can't be separated from us. And those things that may be trouble and heartbreak and suffering and sorrow and trial are really staircases up to you better understanding God's love for you. Those things won't cut you off from God's love. 
death nor life, that's two extremes with a lot in between. That can't cut you off from God's love. Angels or demons, that's pretty two polar extreme opposites. They can't separate you from God's love nor anything between them. The present things, the things in the future, the things to come, there's a lot between that too, but none of that can separate you from God's love. Powers, God's power and principalities, Satan's power, there's a lot in between those two. Nothing there can separate you from God's love in Christ. Height, depth, mountaintops, valleys can't separate you from God's love in Christ. Please, family, I want you to ponder this. I want you to put this in your pockets and take it home with you this week. If anything is created, it is not God. God alone is the uncreated creator. The sun and the moon are not God. Stars are not God. Trees are not God. Fish are not God. Scientific laws are not God. And yes, contrary to the New Age movement, humans are not God either. God is God. And when verse 38, the last part of the verse, contends that any other created thing cannot separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, it is contending that nothing at all which has been created is greater than God the Creator. Another way of saying this is God wins. God wins. At the final gun... At the trumpet call to incinerate this earth to make a new earth, God wins. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. God wins. God wins in your life too. You will not wind up the loser if you've trusted Jesus to be your Savior. You will win with Christ. In the battle between God and his creation, fallen creation, especially in regard to the delivery of God's amazing love to his redeemed, God wins every time because Christ has conquered it all because he has we will too. And we'll do it in style. Unshakable is God. Unstoppable is God. And this unshakable, unstoppable God loves you as a believer in his son with an unstoppable, unshakable love. Christ in us, the hope of glory. John 16, Christ Jesus' high priestly prayer before the cross in the upper room when he instituted the Lord's table, he prayed this to his Father. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. And then John 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come and that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And do you know what? It wasn't just the 11 he loved to the end. It's all of us the global body and bride of Christ, every born-again Christian from every country, he loves each of us to the end. And so we have calmness. 
Although we have a hostile world system that leaves God out of everything, we are at peace. We don't have to worry. We don't have to wonder about him loving us. We have the rock-solid promise of these verses and others that he loves us. He's proven it. Accept that love. No one and no created thing, not even we ourselves, can separate us from God's love. It's a sealed deal. It's tight as a drum. It has no loopholes. His fingers are not crossed behind his back when he says he loves us. This is from the Velveteen Rabbit. The skin horse had lived longer in the nursery than any of the others. He was so old that his brown coat was bald in patches and showed the seams underneath, and most of the hairs in his tail had been pulled out to string bead necklaces. He was wise, for he had seen a long succession of mechanical toys arrive to boast and swagger, and by and by break their main springs and pass away. And he knew that they were only toys and would never turn into anything else. For nursery magic is very strange and wonderful, and only those playthings that are old and wise and experienced, like the skin horse, understand all about it. What is real? asked the rabbit one day, when they were lying side by side near the nursery fender before Nana came to tidy the room. Does it mean having things that buzz inside you and stick out and as a handle? Real isn't how you are made, said the skin horse. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt? asked Rabbit. Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he is always truthful. When you are real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once, like being wound up, asked Rabbit, or bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become. It takes a long time. That's why it doesn't happen often to people who break easily or have sharp edges or who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real... Most of your hair has been loved off. And your eyes drop out. And you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all because once you are real, you can't be ugly, except to people who don't understand. I suppose you are real, said Rabbit. And then he wished he had not said it, for he thought the skin horse might be sensitive but the skin horse only smiled. The boy's uncle made me real, he said. That was a great many years ago. But once you are real, you can't become unreal again. It lasts forever. Brothers and sisters, we are dear to the Lord. We are dear to the Lord. And he has loved us to life. And his love is real. 
and his love is everlasting. 38, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you to stand in the presence of his glory, blameless, with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Dear Lord, our loving Lord, How grateful we are that when we transfer our trust to your Son, our Savior, that you make us alive when we were once dead, and that you love us to life. Now that we are alive in the Spirit, keep us mindful of your love so that we would love you back, and we would love the people you bring into our lives. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.